been reading an interesting little book called Abraham, the first Jewish lawyer, but certainly not the last. <laughs> and thinking about law and justice um, as the scriptures in the lectionary bring us to the, the sense of judgment and how we interpret uh, what God calls us to be and do and, and how justice is a part of our daily lives. I was uh, in line to, to buy tickets to Aladdin the other day. Uh, and it was intriguing to me to see all the people being very patient as they were in line waiting to buy their ticket. I said, what, what causes us to choose to be patient and get in line and do the right thing? Uh, the stop and go lights were out the other day in Clark Avenue in Paradise. And I noticed with the blinking red light, people stopped and they took turns. There is something inherent about right and wrong that is within us. Certainly, we can say thank you to our kindergarten teachers for, uh, I guess, most of the things we've learned in life were taught to us in kindergarten. And this is certainly one of the places that uh, we learn right from wrong. But I was thinking further about where justice is. We know somewhere down deep inside of us that there is right and there is wrong. And God planted that ability to make a decision within us. And we are the ones who then choose whether or not we're going to make a, a decision to follow the right path. So in reading this book uh, with... Oop, sounds a lot better if I get closer to my mouth, huh? Uh, this book about Abram, uh, he's quite a character. You know, he is the father of all the traditions of religion that we recognize and celebrate, the Jewish faith, the faith of Islam, and certainly the Christian faith. And he is an intriguing person. But as I was reading uh, this book, Dershowitz, by Alan Dershowitz, by the way, uh, he, he said that it's an intriguing thing about the Jewish people. They have an inordinately large number of doctors, of lawyers, and comedians. I hate to be stereotypic, but it's, it's really true, you know, as you run into that uh, imagery. And so he embraces this journey of Abram uh, in, a, in a legal sense, uh, understanding how do we come to make decisions about what's right and what's wrong. And uh, since Abram is the first character that emerges in our uh, book of Genesis, about the 12th chapter, uh, we know it's near the very beginning of the recorded history uh, that binds us together as God's people. So the, the, the character of Abram is an intriguing one. And as we meet him, of course, you're probably, uh, I am interested in the story of Abram and Sarah and how, remember that whole uh, business is, he tried to convince other people was his sister and it got him out of trouble with the Pharaoh. And eventually, uh, uh, they found out that it was his wife and the whole issue of adultery was the principal issue that, that bound us together in that initial storytelling of Abram and Sarah. But we go on to the next point, and this is one that Dershowitz was focused on in terms of, of Jewish law from time immemorial, where God uh, calls us to look for judgment um, and how we understand justice. And there's a sense of the Jewish lawyer, or any lawyer for that matter, dealing with those who are innocent alongside of those who are guilty, and the lawyer's job to focus on that. So you don't get a sense that God is speaking directly to Abraham, but Abram is questioning God how he thinks, how God makes decisions and judgments over the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. For example, uh, Abram is wondering, well, how are the innocent judged alongside of the guilty. And he poses the question uh, to God. 
And, and the question is, will you uh, go ahead and destroy the, the city of Sodom, but will you, in fact, uh, for the sake of, and this is the Jewish uh, law point, for the sake of uh, innocent people, not destroy the city? So you have a sense there's bargaining going on with Abraham and God. Uh, and so this really is a wonderment about what is right. And so will you destroy the city if there's a hundred innocent people in that city? And there's the sense, and God says, well, not if there's a hundred. And then, of course, now here's the legal point again. Abram said, well, will you destroy the city if there's 50 innocent people? So you can see the thinking. Where is justice? How does God look at guilty people or innocent people? And there is this wonderment and this dialogue that goes on with Abram and God. But isn't it really within Abram himself? We never really hear directly from God until much later. Uh, in, in Exodus, for example. So this is Abraham's pondering, what is right, what is wrong? Will you, dis, will you uh, save the city of Sodom? Will you change your mind, if you will, from destroying the city of Sodom if there's 10 good people in the city? And so is there this sense of what is just and what is right and how do we decide how we're going to act and how do we project that on to God? Where is justice when we're in conflict? Uh, the story goes on, uh, as he says, when, of course, there's a lot of Jewish comedians, too. And he said there's a story of a, an older gentleman man who tried to bargain with God, uh, such as Abraham was actually doing. And it went on, and he said that this gentleman prayed regularly to God that he would do well financially and progress in life. And it was finally on his deathbed that he'd sort of given up, uh, that God was going to bless him that way. And he has a conversation with God, such as Jewish comedians present. He said, you know, all along, God, I've lived just as you wanted me to, and I prayed for it. Was it, was it so bad if I might have won some money in the lottery? To which God then responds, and I wondered about that too. You should have bought a ticket. <laughs> you know, so there is some interrelationship between what God expects of us to do in relationship to what we expect him to do for us. There's this quid pro quo. I'll do this, you do that. And that's the understanding of law that kind of focuses us as we uh, enter Abraham's story and then into the journey of, of, uh, of faith that ultimately leads Abram home. So it is a journey that we think about the relationship we have with God. What is it God requires of us? What's God going to do for us? I'll do this. God promises to do that. But we also have a sense that God relents of what he intended to do, at least in the case of destroying all these people, and that we have something to do uh, with making decisions about what is just. So, in the end, uh, the Bible is really a story of movement and understandings of justice that move us through our lifetime, and it certainly is in the halls of Congress today, we're still having trouble figuring out right from wrong. But as the story moves, we go through time, and we think about the garden lost, that is when God and man or God and human beings were one creature, and because of Adam's sin, death came into the world. So we, we long to restore that relationship, and the Bible is about that restoration 
of justice with our relationship with God restored. And in the coming of Christ, we see the restoration process, and it's a journey homeward. So I especially like uh, God of the sparrow and God of the whale, and it ends with how does the creature relate to the creation? How do we understand the nature of what the creator expects of us and how we should live? But ultimately, the last line is how does the creature move home? which, of course, is what we remember about Abraham's journey. So it's about the loss of, of innocence and our connection with God in the garden, and it's a movement homeward toward where the Spirit is leading us, which is ultimately uh, where Paul talks about uh, being led by the Spirit of God and letting go of a law and order such as was presented before. So judgment, quid pro quo. What is it God expects of us? What do I have to do? There was that sense of judgment that speaks to us from the beginning of Abraham. As we enter uh, thousands of years later, later literally, uh, with Jesus, we hear this parable that comes to us in Matthew, and the sense of judgment is a lot more clear. Uh, we're told this wonderful story, the darnel, that's a, a weed that, that looks a lot like wheat, and you can't tell the difference really between that particular weed and a stock of wheat. And, and so there is this question, how shall we decide to, to harvest the wheat when we got so much darnel in the midst of it? And of course, the correlation is between sheep and goats, which we've heard about more frequently, and it's a little bit clearer to understand. In the end of time, when a judgment is finally made by God, uh, the sheep are separated from the goats. The sheep to eternal life and glory with God the goats to another place where the absence of God is present, the absence is pre where the absence of God is realized. So there, the sheep and goats give us another sense of justice. If we don't do what's right, we're going to be the goats at the end of time when God comes in uh, to make a decision. Chronology, chronological time uh, is fixed. And at the end of time, if we've done what is right, we will be among those who are saved and judgment will be passed on those who are not saved. So we earn uh, the right relationship with God as we hear this story. And we wait till the final judgment when the, the wheat is separated from the weeds. So many of us still live with that sense of justice, that God is going to judge the sheep from the goats, and that we're going to be, hopefully, among the sheep. But I remember uh, among my earliest <clears throat> recollections of, of God's sense of judgment and our inner uh, relationship with uh, that journey, when, when Charles Allen was, was talking about this example, <clears throat> excuse me, he was talking about a young boy uh, in the congregation that he was aware of, he, at least he knew his parents, who had gone out joyriding. He was a young man, um, one got the impression of early teens, and he got out joyriding and got caught. And the scene was this young man standing before the judge. It was clear that he actually stole the car. There was no question about that. So we're, we're facing the judgment uh, that is going to be made on uh, this act that he had done. And that's where Charles Allen came alongside of this young man before the judge an advocate, if you will, and that's how we see God, isn't it, as an advocate that stands beside us. But he stands before the judge, and he says, Judge, I know this young man, I know his family, this was uh, a, a bad uh, decision that he made, uh, but I will vouch for him 
uh, please be gentle in your sense of punishment. Now, there was punishment for the deed. It was wrong. Uh, Alan accepted that reality, but he pleaded for justice in the terms of leniency because this was his first offense, and he said he would stand beside him uh, as he faced the future. Please be lenient in your judgment. The judge, unfortunately, gave this young guy the harshest possible punishment. And it was intriguing to me what Alan said next as he the decision had been made. He said to the judge, I hope, judge, that when you stand before the eternal judge of time, he is more lenient with you than you have been with this young man here in court today. Judgment. There is a sense that we are judged by the deeds we do, but there's also a sense that God is a forgiving God who judges us not by what we deserve, but by his love for us. So the darnel is really Satan or evil working on us every single day of our lives. And God calling us one way and Satan encouraging us another way. This was uh, the understanding of God and Satan of justice at the end of time, a preeminent during Jesus' lifetime. There is an interesting kind of interpretation that uh, I picked up a long time, that this corpus permixtum, that, that we are a mixture in, inside of us of good decisions and bad decisions. It was clearer in Jesus' time that Satan was the cause of our uh, being tempted to go the wrong way, and a lot of people focus on that today. Uh, I worship frequently at, at a church where they don't focus on uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, that says, deliver us from evil, but they focus on an interpretation that says, deliver us from the evil one. And I haven't heard that in a, a long time, but that's the constant focus on the Lord's Prayer and the interpretation they, uh, they have of the Lord's Prayer there. So that the sense of justice coming at the end of time on the basis of how we live our life, good or not so good, and Jesus at the end of time is coming to make a decision and those who are saved will be among the sheep, and those who are not saved uh, will be among the goats. I, uh, I like the sense of corpus permixtum because the, the sense of the church making a difference in the world is, is interesting. We're called to be light and salt no matter where we go, but as I was reading the preparation for uh, the service today, uh, the, the, the theme of corpus permixtum came out, a mixture, a body of, of it is within the body. Good people trying to do it is good. And equal number, maybe not an equal number, but a certain number of people who are influenced to do what is wrong. We are a body of mixed feelings and emotions and judgments. And since Freud, it's, a lot of it is in our head. It's not just out there, the laws that we break and the punishments and the ordinances by which we live. It's the decision how to live within our thinking that we have the, uh, the potential to do what is right and good, and equally the potential to do what is wrong. It, it is within us the challenge to make that judgment how we shall live with God. But if we journey through uh, the scriptures, we see that the prodigal son story takes preeminence. 
It's not about justice as we see justice, good and evil. It's about the father who longs for the lost one to return home. Again, there is that theme of home, coming back to being at one with God. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about this mixture of good and evil. There's possibilities that are within us, and there's potential for wrongdoing that is within us, and we have to make a decision. I, uh, I have to have a daily discipline. I don't know what you read, but uh, Mornings with Jesus is a, a new one I've discovered. Anybody uh, read Mornings with Jesus here for your daily devotion? Okay. Well, I was uh, reading it, and it happened to be about a woman talking about road rage, and I particularly um, am focused on that because I have that, that problem sometimes. Anybody else have? Uh, there was, I was on 99 going north, and I was obeying the speed limit. I was in the left lane, but there was a car in front of me. I couldn't have gone faster if I wanted to. And there was a guy behind me who wanted to go faster. I could tell he was irritated. It had something to do with the lights flashing and stuff. So finally, I said, okay, I'll pull over the right lane. I, it, it wasn't my fault. I couldn't go any faster if I wanted to. And, and as I pulled over to the right, he gave me that gesture that we've seen from people, that dubious uh, digit that uh, I didn't feel I deserved. So I managed to stay right in the right lane so he couldn't go any faster because the car that was ahead of me um, was really the reason he never got me to move. any rate, uh, there was something within me that sort of, there, there's a phrase that I never forgot from St. Augustine's uh, book, Confessions. It's about green apples that he stole. And he said, the evil in me was foul, but I loved it. You know, you, you think he stole the green apples and he enjoyed the actual stealing. And I think that's got something to do with the road rage that uh, I felt that particular morning. I don't do it often, but I felt it. And I think other people feel it in certain points. And I wasn't wasn't going to let him get in the right lane to go around the car that was going too slow until I thought about it. You know, the mornings of Jesus said, road rage is a problem for many of us, and the problem is within us. Count to ten, get off the gas, and think about Jesus sitting in the car with you. That's tough. It works. You know, don't let the rage get control. It works. And you, it, you can see his expression as you can see that you're the one struggling uh, with bad decisions. So judgment. We're the potential to do what is good and, and right and holy, and we have equally within us the ability to go the other direction and even to enjoy it. So what, what does that say about justice and judgment? Again, it is within us. It's not only at the end of time but evil and good are in conflict within us. My uh, favorite book of all time, I'll come to that in a minute. But then as we move into the New Testament further, that as we move into the epistles, we see this wonderful text of St. Paul in Romans. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've received the spirit of sonship. We are children by adoption uh, by the Father. So it's a different sense of justice. It's God loves us beyond uh, the law itself. And the law leads to, to sin and death, but the Spirit to eternal life. And there's a particular line uh, that it struck me that we are now uh, those who are bound by the Spirit. It, it, we're led by the Spirit to do what is right and good. We are debtors, and that's the line, 
We're debtors not to the law, not to the law that the legal law that binds us, but we're debtors to the Spirit. Well, how, how can that gift of eternal life cause us to feel in debt? There's a different sense of law that comes, and now the Spirit comes, and we're debtors now to the Spirit. How can that be? And uh, in, in preparing, uh, the thought came, and then it was explained this way. A parent, knowing that his or her daughter is going to go to college, decides to go into debt for that child's education. Debtor to the Spirit means living forward into what God expects of us, but also the promise that binds us together. It's not a spirit that leads us into disobedience and sin and death, but it is a law of the Spirit that sets us free to think about eternity as a gift that comes to us. And the way he describes it is interesting. He talks about all of the creation was as in eager preparation for the coming of God, waiting as uh, children, waiting for the father or the mother, the parent, to come to us. And he describes the birth of the new creation as though it's a woman in childbirth. All of the creation is in eager expectation for the revealing of God's will. We think that is Jesus, obviously. All of the creation waiting for God's judgment to come in Christ. Now you think about, perhaps you don't think about, but I was recalling how this was described. And uh, there was a birthing tent in Israel, ancient Israel. And when a woman was about to give birth, she would go to that particular tent, and the whole community would be around that tent, and there would be a great shout of joy uh, when the baby's cry was heard. All of the creation was in eager expectation for God to be revealed. And, of course, it is revealed in the coming of Jesus Christ. Scott Peck wrote a wonderful book. He said, a world waiting, it was called A World Waiting to be Born, and that's the one I've shared with you before where these two babies about to be born are having a discussion in the womb. And one is, is saying, this is it. There is nothing more. I can't, uh, can't see anything beyond where we are. But the second baby says, I can't see it, I don't know it, but I believe there's something greater coming in the world that is yet to be born. Well, the, the birth is within us, isn't it? The birth of Christ. Adopted children of God. If there's no other parable in the New Testament that sums up the journey of faith, uh, it is the prodigal son's story, uh, where the child who's gone the wrong direction uh, makes the decision to come home, and the father has been on that porch waiting for him to return back home again. It's all about a journey homeward, uh, this law of the Spirit uh, that binds us in expectation of everlasting life that came to us in Christ. The hope is not for this world, it is for the world that is yet to come, that is promised in Jesus. I uh, close with it. A story that is one of my favorites, you may have heard it. It's about the dying abbey uh, somewhere in, in Europe uh, that was clearly in trouble. And the, abbey, the abbot didn't know what to do. But he decided to, to go talk one day to an old Jewish rabbi. Here's that Jewish story again. And he, he went to the rabbi and asked what he might do. And the rabbi wisely thought about it and he said, well, in your tradition, Jesus is coming at the end of time, 
to judge the sheep from the goats. He said, when you go back to the abbey, uh, tell the brothers that Jesus has returned as one of them, but of course they won't know which one is Jesus. And so they began to treat each other differently, thinking that each one of them might be Jesus. And soon the attendants at the abbey uh, turned around, and it was thriving and successful again. And it was heard by uh, some visitors at worship one morning uh, as they talked about what they experienced in worship uh, and said to each other, see how they love each other. You know, we have a choice, don't we, how we live our life. Let's pray. Loving God, we, we pray for your presence in our journey. Help us to be patient where patience is required and to think about judging others with the measure with which we ourselves judge. Help us to think about justice of not seeing the, the log, of not seeing the speck in our brother's eye when there's a log in our own. To judge as, as Jesus would give us a sense of what is right and what is good. Help us to choose the right way, Lord. So we would ask that you would fill us with your grace, move us on our journey homeward uh, to the place you'd have us be. For we'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.